Dr. O, and welcome to Ask Dr. Orbeck, the podcast where I answer your questions about rejuvenation medicine and sexual wellness intimacy. Hello, everybody out there. I'm Dr. O, and welcome to Ask Dr. O. Today's show is a little bit different as I have a special guest. You guys are going to love this. I'd like to welcome Dr. Charles Runnels, who is a pioneer in the field of sexual health and wellness. He is the inventor of the P-Shot and the O-Shot procedures, along with the Vampire Facelift, all of which I also perform here at Regenerative Medical Institute. Dr. Runnels started his career as an emergency room physician, and after seeing a lifetime's worth of illness, he decided to specialize in the areas of health and wellness. I'm excited to speak with him today. Dr. Runnels, thank you so much for being on the show. It's an honor to be on the show, and, and what better thing to think about and, and talk about other than people making love, right? And, uh, and the health and all the medicine and all the wonderful new tools we have to make that happen. Intimacy, that's what it's all about. So, yeah. uh, Dr. Runnels, please start by telling us how you transition to the work you do today surrounding sexual health and wellness, because you started as an internist, right? An emergency room doctor. What happened from there? Yeah, so... You know, it's not the sort of thing when they ask you what you want to be when you grow up in the first grade. That's not on the box of things to check, right? Policeman, fireman, whatever, uh, sexual doctor is not on the box. So it's not something I set out to do. What happened was as I transitioned out of the ER after 12 years, and I'm 60, so I've lived two or three lives like a lot of people, but I had a background as a research chemist for three years before medical school and an interest in tissue and research. And as an ER doctor, I dealt with wound care and, and some of the hyperbaric chamber wound care stuff. So there was a combination of things. And then when I quit the ER and to open up a private practice, mostly to have more time with the family, um, my intention was to take really good care. Here's the secret about families. Every family has a woman in charge of the health of everybody's family. And she decides who goes to what doctor, even if even if there's a male in the family that's a doctor, there's probably a woman in your family that decides where you go to the doctor. It's a sister or your wife or your mother or somebody. So it's why the hospitals advertise to women. And so I decided if I could take care of 40-year-old women in an excellent way, that I would never lack for patients because they would bring the whole family. So when I opened up the private practice, this was back in 2000, so 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I started going to every everything I could go to about how to take care of a 40-year-old woman that's 40 pounds overweight, having trouble thinking, problem with her sex, feels tired, that woman. And that led to seeing some research about using testosterone pellets. Now, this is 20 years ago, to help women with migraines. And back then, you had to order the good pellets from Europe, and I had an autoclavable trocar. So I started treating women, not just with migraines, but perimenopausal women with testosterone pellets. And you know what happened then, because that's 20 years ago. Oh, every yeah. menopausal woman. Suddenly, I had 3,000 3, women I was doing their hormones very quickly. Wow. And this was before Suzanne Summers wrote the first book about hormone replacement. So my colleagues didn't know what the heck was going on. But here's, <laughs> here's, to, here's, the, here's what the next step was. Two things. One, when the women, when they started to lose weight, they would lose the fat in their cheeks and it would make their face look older. So I had to learn how to do fillers to make them, to motivate them to continue to lose weight. Second thing is that 
when you talk with 3,000 women about their hormones, it means you also talk with them about their sex. And here's what surprised me and broke my heart. As you know, there's so many women who struggle with their sex and they're embarrassed to talk with their friends. It's like psychological problems. If you can have a broken arm or cancer, you, you get people to pray for you and you talk about it. But if you have schizophrenia or major depression, you keep it a secret because there's social stigma with that. It's not right, but it's how it is. There's also social stigma with sexual problems. I don't like it. It makes me angry, but it's the way the world is. And sure. so a lot of women go around, not as you know, not talking about their sex. And I was shocked when I did hormones for 3,000 women, how many of them were keeping their sexual distress, their problem with anorgasmia, their problem with arousal, their problems with pain, and they were embarrassed to tell their husband, friend, nobody knew. And when they had tried to talk with other doctors about it, the doctors would give them KY jelly and vibrator and off you go. And there hasn't been a, a deep discussion. That, as you know, that research has been done and it's been proven that usually that's what happened. The doctor changes, not you, but most doctors change the subject after the first question. So that's kind of how it led. I just went down that path. Then PRP came on the scene and I just, knowing all those things, I used it in the face to learn more about it and then introduce it into sexual medicine. Isn't it amazing when you sit behind the desk and a woman sitting in front of you, I don't know about your practice, but every other woman eventually ends up in a little bit of tears and you've got your tissues and you start talking to them about intimacy. There's a little sigh of relief that actually someone is interested in yes. and that you really care and they have a tear in their eye and it's like, Oh, I finally get to finally get to talk about this. And yes. it, it's just not, it's not being done today. And talking about intimacy and relationships with their, with their loved one, their husband or you know, it's it's so critical because that's quality of life. And so, yeah, thank you for that. That was, it's amazing. Yeah, and I'm glad that you put it that way because a lot of, when I first introduced these procedures, I was privy to how much suffering there was going on that wasn't being spoken about, as are you. Yeah. But as you know, when you start talking about sexual uh, medicine and and helping people, there there's a sudden jump to the conclusion by oftentimes that it's all about just, I don't know, helping people. It almost borders on pornography in someone's pe some people's mind. That you're just helping people have more fun, and you're not really doing real medicine. Mm -hmm. as, but as you know, 95-plus percent of the people who come with us, it, it's about their either relationship is bordering on being broken or it's broken, or they feel broken and they don't have a relationship because they, they're that part of it. You know, Emerson said beauty and sex is the scaffolding of love. So they're having trouble building a relationship because they don't have a piece of it. And, and in many ways, this is more rewarding than those life or death situations when you put that relationship back together. So I think that I'm glad that you reiterated that point that it's really about uh, it's about holding couples together, which holds families together, which is our happiness machine. Absolutely. And I think, uh, as you and I both know, intimacy is the glue. Uh, mm -hmm. It's yeah. the glue that holds relationships together, being able to express each other's love. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the love. So I've had an interesting case here, too, where, where couples come sometimes in together and they're having some discord and relationship issues. And I had one couple I remember, I'll never forget this. This was like six months ago. Um, they were actually on their way to divorce court. Yes. And then la their last stop was, well, let's go see this metabolic doctor. We don't know what he's all about. We know that, you know, that he does hormones and maybe some sex stuff. Let's talk to him. 
-hmm. We had one hour conversation. There was a lot of tissues during that conversation. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the conversation, it's like, look, give me, give me six weeks with you and give me six weeks with you. Do not talk to each other. Let's repair some of these issues. Let's balance your hormones and let's bring you back and see if we can get some intimacy back in your marriage. And if we can't, then go see the judge. But mm -hmm. I you know what? this ended up a very, very positive situation. And now mm -hmm. they're building their marriage. It's, it's a wonderful thing. So yeah, I agree. Jesus. 100%. So rewarding. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Reynolds, what was your drive or reason? Um, you kind of hit on this a little bit for helping women in this area. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? I think you pretty much hit on that already, but I don't know. Yeah, if you want to... yeah there is some expansion to be done. I don't think it's a conscious thing, but I, actually, I don't have an explanation for it, but I know that women's sexual medicine, as you know, lags behind men's medicine. Up until about three years ago, there was no drug at all approved for women to help them with their sex, while men had over 20 drugs and devices approved. Oh. Now we have two drugs approved for men, for women. We have two now for women, as opposed to over 20 for men. But both of those two for women are psych drugs. One's a borderline antidepressant, and the, not that they're not worthwhile, but they still aren't unlike with a man where we have drugs that address actual genitalia and the functionality of the other parts of the system, both drugs for women are still dealing with the head. Here's, here's the, like this head. Here's something that, that is an interesting fact that I think a lot of people forget. In the 1980s, when I was in medical school, and, and you'll know this fact, but most doctors, I think, forget it. If they knew it, they forgot it. In the 1980s, the number one cause for erectile dysfunction was thought to be psychological. It was thought to be 80 plus percent of men with erectile dysfunction, it was freaking psychological. And then all of a sudden they accidentally discover Viagra, which was a failed antihypertensive drug when they didn't want to give it back at the end of the study. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh no, it's more like 80% of it is vascular, yes. not psychological. But the problem is, and the reason I want to expand on the women's side of it, is we're still treating women more like it's a psychological problem. Exactly. Both drugs are psychological. Even They don't even have a female version of testosterone yet. So in this whole sexual orgasm system, which is not the same as a reproductive system, so the system that's designed to have pleasure with sex, the all the way from the cerebellum, the, the pituitary gland, the cerebral cortex, the spinal column, the genitalia, the urethra, all that, there is no drug for women except for the brain part. That's it. Uh, it's sad. Very yes. sad. Yes. I'm sure you do what I do. I mean, we can use drugs off-label. And so yeah, what do we do? We do that. And we and, and some, some of these drugs can, can go, you know, cross-sex. And, yes. And that's quite well. So um, that, is a, that is a very good explanation. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Reynolds, you were working with women and treating them with their hormones, and that led you to creating a, a, a procedure called the Vampire Facelift. Could you please describe what this procedure is? Yeah, so the so the vampire, what, what bothered me about when I started doing the um, cosmetic work, as I mentioned to you, I initially started doing it to help encourage women to lose weight. But then it bothered me. I would be advertising Juvederm, and someone else would be advertising Juvederm, and there was no indication from the name how we were using it. It's like going down the street and you just see beef advertising. You don't know if you're at McDonald's or Ruth Chris steakhouse. You may want to go to both, but you'd like to know which one you're walking into. So when the idea of using platelet-rich plasma cosmetically came on the scene, I was not the first to think of that. 
I came up with a specific way of using that platelet-rich plasma in combination with a filler like Restylane or, or, or Juvederm. Both of them done on the same procedure in a specific way. And so I wanted a name to call it so that you, were know, you would know you're going into Ruth Chris Steakhouse and not to get a McDonald's hamburger. So it's a type of trademark that's called a service mark, which means a method of doing things. And I like that it empowers us as providers to indicate at least a certain level of knowledge and a certain commitment to using certain FDA approved uh, devices. And so it really, it was a trial at the same, when I was doing that, my intention was to do the sexual procedures, but, it, and I never, I, it really surprised me how viral the name went but it, it functioned what I intended it to do, which is to wall off people who have committed to knowing and performing something in a, in a following some certain guidelines so that people wouldn't be taken advantage of. Imagine a sexual procedure where anything goes. You just pick up PRP, do anything you want to with it in someone's genitalia. That would be really bad. Even if no one was hurt by it, they could be taken advantage of. Yes. So by using a service mark, like a, which is a form of trademark, like the O-Shot, we can legally keep people from advertising with that name unless they've agreed to follow our guidelines, which, of course, you're one of our premier providers and, a, and, um, and, and certainly committed to the cause, which is one of the reasons I was so eager to help you speak with your people. Well, thank you so much. I do appreciate that. That was an excellent explanation. And I've seen it in my practice, too. You know, you balance women's hormones. And you, we have a little saying in our clinic where we use it's not, I want to create external beauty through internal health. Yes. We get them internally well. We balance their hormones. We look at their nutritional situations. We balance that. Metabolic arrangements, we balance that. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, like you said, they're losing weight. And they look in the mirror and it's like, you know what? I don't have that elastin, that fullness, that beauty. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I forget how long ago, seven, eight, nine years ago when I got trained with the vampire facelift. And I came back to my office and I'm looking at these women, I'm a little like, would you like to really put a spark back into your face? Mm -hmm. uh, something be really, would you like to really see, you know, the, the vitality again? Mm -hmm. And so with, with the vampire facelift that you've designed, mm -hmm. um, I, I entered that into my practice and I stepped back and I went, wow. Mm -hmm. Because women would go out and they would go home and like, wow, that is amazing. Mm -hmm. And so the regenerative part of PRP and then adding a little filler, mm -hmm. it made a difference in their lives. You know what it did? It gave them a sense of refreshment in their brain, mm -hmm. better self-confidence. Um, that's all important. So um, mm -hmm. I just want to thank you for, um, for really having the, uh, you know, the fortitude to go forward and to design all this. I think it's great. Well, um, it wouldn't be worth much without excellent providers like yourself who are thinking in terms of the whole body system. As you said, sexual, sexual performance and pleasure and, and bonding is not, it can't be isolated. It's like the well, thing that evolves out of good health, good emotional and physical health which means a lot of things. So you just said a mouthful of things that you're having to think about from endocrinology to metabolism to nutrition to psychology and, and all that goes with it. So it's, it's not something that's a haphazard thing. I'll admit that I was a very, uh, I was not very, um, trying to use the right, so a kind word. There's not a kind word. I was really an asshole, if I can say that on your show, 
when it came to cosmetic work in the beginning. I thought, real doctors don't do that. And I learned it reluctantly. And then something happened with one of my patients. I'm doing it as a way to motivate my people to lose weight. And I got to be pretty good at it just before the vampire. Yep. And then I had a woman come to see me that saved up money for one Juvederm syringe, mopping floors as a maid, you know, go to people's, a rent-a-maid person. And I fixed her face, okay? She came back about six months later and confided to me that a week before I used that Juvederm syringe, she had been raped. And she was feeling so very, very low, and she had been raped by her husband's friend. And her husband had not defended her. Uh, it was it's a really ugly situation. So she was um, she was crushed. Only thing is, when she came back at six months later, she had gotten motivated by the face and had started working out, had a side gig as a as a fitness model, had a new job working in the office of a, of a bunch of attorneys paying very well, had divorced the husband, had a new boyfriend. And she dated the change in her feeling towards herself to a Juvederm syringe. And then I thought, I just looked at myself and thought, what an asshole am I to think I get to decide where somebody's pain ought to be. And after I realized that if if you think about someone's pain, whatever their main top level a priority pain is, then that once that's gone, they'll think about the other things. And if that happens to be their face, or their labia, or their sore elbow, whatever it is, yeah. you have to get to that first. Yeah. And, and once I realized that, I became a freak about how good can I be at cosmetic injections. Awesome. And out of that was part of the motivation that evolved of the Empire Facelift. But you're right, it's part of what we do. And the other part of that, of course, is that women should also have the same option if they choose to, to revive the appearance and the health of the labia, not just the urethra and the the vagina. I know there's been some pushback for that, but if a woman gets to think about bringing about neovascularization and collagen generation and neurogenesis in the face, why shouldn't she be able to do the same thing in the labia? And as you know, when we do our labia, when we do our vampire wing lift for the labia, they can have also new confidence and even new function. Absolutely. And that, that's a great transition because I was just going to ask you that after creating the vampire facelift, your next big thing was actually the O-Shot. Yeah. Well, it's the one it's yeah. the one I rolled out, but I was actually, I'll tell you a secret. I, I don't, I, I don't really talk about it much. When I first learned about platelet-rich plasma, I was, it was described to me by the salesman slash scientist that was showing it to me, the device to prepare it as something that would increase volume and blood flow, and there'd never been an infection or a serious granuloma or a neoplasia. And we're still there. 20 years later, over 12,000 papers on PubMed, there's never been a serious infection, uh, neoplasia or granuloma. And But new volume, and I thought, well, that should go in my penis. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so that was my first thought. So as I'm doing the face, I, it was a month later, I actually tried out the shot on myself and started treating my patients um, but, and then I started doing the O shot, but I wanted to bring things out in the proper order. And even though the Priapus shot was the first thing that, that popped in my head, 
It wasn't the first thing I felt like we should speak about. I felt like the faith should be introduced first and understood from that because you can see it. And then women needed something. So it wasn't until over a year later that I started talking about the peanut, but I'd already been working with it since early on. Awesome. And I love the Oshan. I mean, I, I see my patients and I, I talk to the women in my practice. And when they have been without hormones for a while, as you know, uh, generally they can have some atrophy and they can reduce their sensitivity. Yes. And so now all of a sudden they've got uh, vaginal dryness and painful yes. intercourse. Uh, they have problems now with sensitivity and, and many of them are unable even to climax. Yes. So now they look at themselves and they look in the mirror and it's like, well, who am I? How can I please my, my husband or the person I love? And or please themselves. You know, we have women that live by themselves. Yeah. That's uh, you know, so. I, had a, I have a patient who put her wife in the nursing home. She said, I make love to myself. If when I masturbate, I sleep better. When I have a sex drive, I'm a better salesperson. And so um, I, think it's, I think that, yes, we need to acknowledge the fact that lovemaking between a, a man and wife is important. But also, I think, as you know, even when women are living alone, if, yes. if they feel if that part of their body feels broken, they still know it and it still affects their personality. Absolutely. So it's really important, I think, that people understand, I think, how important it is and still how brave you are. OK, so we have about twenty three hundred people total in our group. There's thirty five thousand gynecologists in the United States. And as you know, many of them will tell me, I don't want to talk about sex. Gynecologists will tell me, I do not want to talk about sex. And it doesn't make them bad people. They're surgeons. Maybe they treat ovarian cancer. Maybe they deliver a lot of babies. Mm -hmm. And the long, the laborious discussion, literally about every body system, endocrinology, metabolism, mm -hmm. cardiology, all that goes with sexual medicine, psychology, they don't have time for it. And maybe they shouldn't make time for it if their main specialty is treating ovarian cancer or doing hysterectomies or delivering babies. But there's a strong, a strong feeling, even among gynecologists, to avoid the sex talk. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to salute you for having the bravery to actually do it. I mean, think about it. Just take Facebook, for example. You can talk about riots. You can talk about shootings. But you can't talk about sex. My ad account was killed and many of our doctors' ad accounts were killed, not for pornography, but just mentioning a medical sexual procedure. Talk about shootings, talk about riots, but don't talk about lovemaking between a man and a woman. You'll get your, you'll get your account killed. Exactly. So thank you for being brave enough to do this. Well, I think we must. It's, it's very important. I think we, we have to take the word sex or intimacy, open it up, put it on the table and talk about it. Yes. You can't hide it. Put it. You can't put it under a cover. Mm -hmm. It's part of life. Uh, it's part of it's part of the quality of life. And I think by doing that, as you said, it's wrong. I think yeah. we should. And, and, you know, those of us who are interested in this and very interested because I just, you know, my wife and I, we 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 uh, we, we talked about this and started our institution and regenerative medical institute. And um, we said, you know what? My passion right now is to help couples as they age or individuals as they age to maintain their integrity, uh, to maintain uh, how they feel and, and, and love each other in the world. It mm -hmm. makes a difference. And when you don't do that, you know, you start kind of pulling in mm -hmm. and, and escaping. So yes. that's really important. After you um, were involved in the O-Shot, Dr. Ronald, you moved into helping men. Uh -huh. uh, 
sexual wellness with the P-Shot. Can you talk about that, please? Yeah, so, you know, after you talk to about 3,000 women plus, and it's over that now, about their sexuality, you get to where you can almost tell when the woman walks in the room if they love their husband or not. And they come in three flavors. First flavor is, and I know you see this every day in your office, but I'll, I'll lay it out so we talk about it. First flavor is woman comes in, she loves her husband or wife, and he's very healthy. And when you make her well again, they go live happily ever after. There's nothing left to do on the man's side. Second option is she comes in, he's healthy, but he's been abusive to her, not nice to her because she's been broken. He's got three girlfriends on the side. And when you make her well, she's out the door. Well, they're going to get a divorce. There's nothing you can do about it. Maybe there's nothing you should do about it, but they're over. Third flavor is what bothered me. Third flavors, first two flavors, nothing left for me to do. They either live happily ever after or they're getting divorced. Third flavor bothered me. Third flavor is you make the woman well and she adores her husband, but he's still not well. Now she's looks like a freaking movie star. She wants to have circus sex and the husband's having trouble getting off the couch after watching the football game. So and that creates this great tension because she loves him. She doesn't want, she wants to make love to him and, but he's not healthy enough. And so for that reason, I had to make myself an expert for to take care of the men more than just a general internist, more than, as you know, we're taught in medicine. I mean, we you ever even taught how to examine a clitoris in medical school, never, nobody. And so, so we had to go learn thing, learn this special knowledge by reading the research and right. and going to conferences and spending lots of time and money. So I learned to take care of the men for that third category so that you could help him catch up with the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's it's been uh it's been interesting to watch. There is a new sex revolution that I saw it in Newsweek or one of those news magazines at the airport about the time Fifty Shades of Grey came out, about the new sex revolution. Mm-hmm. So there's two things happening. One is social, because back in the 60s, the new sex revolution is this. In the 60s, it became okay for women to have sex. Now it's okay for women to want to have good sex. Yep. And it's okay for them to demand good sex, whatever that means for them. That means what activities they do. It means demanding their doctor make them well if something's broken. But the other fun thing about that, and that is interesting because now, you know, I live in the Bible Belt, which I love being here in Alabama. Uh, I'm near the Gulf Coast in Alabama. I like my Southern roots. But when I was a kid in the 60s, women walked around with a New Testament in their purse. And now they walk around with a Fifty Shades of Grey in their purse. So that's a big switch, right? But But the other thing, as you know, there's been this huge change in the technology. Now you can do measurements on the blood like a free T3, and you can do things now. Remember the T3 uptake and all those ancient tests we used to do? Now you can do measurements on endocrinology that you do, we didn't even have 20 years ago. That's and you right. have options for treatments that we didn't have 20 years ago. That's so right. there's a revolution in science at the same time as there's a revolution in social, in, in social forces that's just beautiful to watch that it's making where women can have beautiful sex where maybe 30 years ago, Literally, I have a good friend whose woman, whose uh, mother committed suicide in her 40s. And I think, you know, she's menopausal. Who knows what's going on, was going on with her at the time. We might could have flipped her into having a beautiful, happy life had she had those same problems now. Oh, yeah. 
You know, and men sit at home and they get embarrassed and they're not going to want to go into the bedroom because to them it's a defeat. And yes. so they don't even want to get enter into that that type of position. I talk to men all the time. It's like I would love to I would love to have sex. I would love to have, I would love to make love to my wife, but I'm not going to be embarrassed. What is your biggest piece of advice, Dr. Reynolds, or advice to men and women who experiences issue with sexual performance? Your 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 main piece of advice. I think the the biggest it may be too general, but I think it's so important to never forget that whomever you're talking with, let's say that you have sexual problems and you go see a, a sex therapist, there is a huge need for understanding sexuality in relationships, as you know. And sometimes when we get people well, it increases the tension, right? Because the woman has a sex drive and now the man can't keep up or vice versa. But not everything can be fixed. As you said, say she's got dyspareunia, hurts to have sex because she has no estrogen. Well, it might be better just to give her an O-shot, even though she's had breast cancer, we know that helps her lubricate. So maybe we don't give her therapy as a primary treatment. What I'm getting at is there's a whole system. And the biggest advice I could give people is you probably need a team to help you. And you need to, I think, first of all, give yourself permission to think about your sexuality and realize it's important. It's not just about pleasure. You really should give yourself permission. It's important to your family. And second, to realize that there's a whole system involved and to get to make sexuality really function well may involve thinking about more than one thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, Dr. Reynolds, let's move on. And that's it. Why are you so passionate about helping men and women in these areas of sexual wellness? Where does that passion come from? You know, I think it's... I think our our best stuff maybe comes out of our worst pain, and um, and it's a combination of factors. Part of it is just you know I went through a divorce, so I know the pain of your children are now. It's Christmas time, and your kids are at Mama's house, and some other man is with them opening presents under the tree. There's oh. nothing more lonelier than that. And sexual problems can cause that to happen. Mm -hmm. Other things can cause it, but sexual problems can cause it to happen. So I felt that pain of a broken family. And I, the other thing is just seeing, as you talked about, seeing hundreds of women crying in my office with no hope because the other doctors wouldn't even listen to what they had. And until recently, there was nothing really left to help them with. So this... You know, as doctors, we're addicted to something. If we wanted to make money, we'd be doing something else, right? I and mean, people think we make lots of money. If we took the same energy we put in medical school into real estate or freaking almost anything else, we we're, we're, we might as well admit we're addicted to wanting to be superheroes. We want to save people from their pain. And I admit it, that's what I like to do. So when I saw hundreds of women crying and I saw that I was able to take, for example, a woman who got sexually abused by her first husband, physically abused, scarred in the vagina. This is the second woman I treat with. Now it's been six years since she's had sex. Penis and vagina sex feels broken, unlovable. She's very lovable, but that part of her wasn't working. And now you give her an O shot and two months later, she's engaged to an old high school sweetheart. That there's just nothing better than that. You right. haven't just made a part of her body well. You've yeah. healed her whole life, and now she has a uh, her son has a kind stepfather, 
and she has a loving, deep relationship because of a procedure that took 30 minutes in my office on her lunch hour. That's amazing. What's better than that? It is. It's, it's way better than making a fortune in real estate. You know, I'm not going to get into politics, but I have a theory about Donald Trump. What's, what's that? I'm going to have to tell you this part. I read all of his books when they came out, The Art of the Deal and all that. And, I, you know, all I will say, I think there should be a party called the Jazz Party. Like, if you want to run for office, you got to play an instrument. That's your tryout for office. And then I don't think there would be any wars if all we had was jazz musicians in office, right? Wouldn't that be fun? They're all like, yeah, okay, let's play another song and let's not shoot each other. But whatever. But if you read his books, if you read Art of the Deal, he says he hates doctors. He used the word hate. Two of his books, he says, I hate doctors. I don't know if it's because his brother died from alcoholism. I don't know what's in his head. But I have a theory that you can build a bunch of skyscrapers and make a billion dollars plus, but there's none of that compares to what I just told you. Taking a woman like that and making her life better is worth six skyscrapers. And 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 so I'm addicted to what we do. And, and this particular type of medicine, I seem to understand it by my combination of training and, and experience. And so, yeah, I don't know if maybe that answers your question, but that's why yes. how I think about it. It does, and I agree. And I go home at night, and I, you know, the, what fills my heart, what fills my joy, is helping others get joy. Mm -hmm. We can help when we can help men and women in the most most important area of their life. Mm -hmm. you go to work. You sleep. You go to work. You sleep. You go to work. You sleep. That's not mm -hmm. where you get your enjoyment. Yes, mm -hmm. I love what I do at my work, but where do I get my enjoyment? By helping yes. others. That's right. Helping others achieve intimacy. Because my favorite part of my day is going home to my wife and mm -hmm. having some having some intimacy with her. It's beautiful. Yeah. When couples do that, when individuals do that, they expand their they expand their entire life. Yes. And it, it increases the quality of your life. It's all about quality. So yeah. I I mean I'm very grateful for what you've created in the O shot and the P shot. Um, it's transformed my practice entirely. Um, I, I love hormonal medicine. I love metabolic medicine. Um, you know, and that's what we do here. But with the O-Shot and the P-Shot and the Vampire Facelift, by using that and what you've created has changed my world, what I can do to others, and how I can really revolutionize their life and make their quality so much better. So in close, I want to thank you, Dr. Reynolds, for joining us today on my show. Uh, for anyone watching, if you're interested in learning more about procedures, you can visit our website at rmi.live, L-I-V-E. Uh, and for more information about the Vampire Facelift, O-Shop, P-Shop, uh, and to book any consultation. Dr. Reynolds, you are unbelievable. It was a great time today, so I want to thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I was truly honored. I know you're an amazing physician, Dr. Orbeck, so I'm really honored to be with you. And I, um, it makes my, makes my day to hear that things are working out for your patients. Thank you. I, wish you. I wish you the very best in the future. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, please be sure to leave a review wherever you listen to the show. Also, make sure that you like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Great to have you here and see you next time.